There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with plushcare. Plushcare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello and welcome to Your Booked. I'm Your Book Inspector, Daisy Buchanan. Firstly, a huge thank you to everyone who pre-ordered Limelight from bookshop.org enter the competition to be a podcast guest. We'll be announcing the winner soon. Limelight is out now. It's a story of sisterhood, sexuality and self-esteem. It's available online in all formats. The amazing Natalie Simpson, you'll remember her from Outlander, is narrating the audiobook. You can get signed copies from Branches of Toppings, Fox Lane Books, The Big Green Bookshop, Edinburgh Bookshop, The Golden Hair, Portobello Books and Argonaut Books and The Margate Bookshop if you'd like a personalised dedication they deliver nationwide. Also ask about the special badges. Upcoming tour dates include the House of Books and Friends in Manchester on Monday the 12th of June. I think there are a couple of tickets left and Harbour Books in Whitstable where I'll be in conversation with Catherine May on Tuesday the 20th of June. There's also a date in Cambridge on the 28th of June at Waterstones with Lucy Vine. More dates to be announced. I'll be sharing them on social media. I'll also be backstage reporting from the first Queen's Reading Room Festival this Sunday, the 11th of June. You can find me on Instagram at The Daisy Bee, bringing you news of the excellent authors and speakers who include Dame Judi Dench, Kate Moss and Ken Follett. Now, on to today's guest. I'm so excited to be sharing this conversation because I have been a fan of this woman forever. It's Josie Long. We're celebrating her brilliant new book because I don't know what you mean and what you don't. A fantastic story collection that evokes Rachel Ingalls and Catherine Heine. It's funny, dark, fresh and tender. Josie and I talked about bodies, being awkward, Jean Reese, Robert Popper, reading to children and putting together a political reading list. So I wanted <laughs> nice. to start by asking you about short stories. Um, so I love the the breadth of the collection and oh, the different you. themes that are being explored. It's so eclectic. And I was wondering if there are any short story writers that you love or that you've been inspired by or drawn to? Yeah, there really are. I mean, it started out the first um, short story writer that I really loved was Raymond Carver. Um, I I think I really love writing full, full stop that's like very um, terse and doesn't and just like leaves a lot um of the world to be imagined and so and I also like he kind of set like the paradigm of what I thought short stories were for a long time which was kind of like curse sad stories about like he's in depths of misery and I I think they're very beautiful um and then also I really love the writing of Jean Reese, which is again like similar like 
levels of emotional intensity, but hers is more like present and not like between the lines. I've read two collections quite recently that were really, really big for me. And that was um, Drinking Coffee Elsewhere by ZZ Packer. And I think it's the only book that she um, has published so far. And it makes me feel so desperate because I'm like, uh, my favourite musician is is Joanna Newsom, and she hasn't released an album for like eight years. And this book of short stories came out about 10 years ago. And I'm like, I'm on. Time is a pace. Release more work. It's so brilliant. And I read um, a really good collection of stories by Kelly Link called Get In Trouble that I found just really cool, really full of um, imagination and supernatural elements, but just very emotionally real. And also, I should say, I really love Dan Rhodes' short stories. That was quite a formative thing for me. He's written like a few collections of incredibly short stories, like I don't even know, 300 words? So like like 70, 300 word stories. And I absolutely, I just love them. I'd eat them up. Um, and I'm trying to think, I'm, I'm by some of my books now and I'm trying to think what else um, that I've really loved. Um, oh, Richard Yates had a collection of short stories that I just was absolutely in awe of. I think it's, I really love his writing anyway, but with those, they were all just my absolute jam of being like desperate people who are too timid to do or say what they really want to do. Unbearable. Um, yes, yeah, so I think those are probably some of my favourites. I'm trying to think more. I feel like there's probably three books that I should say that I've forgotten about that after I finish, I'm like, ah, that one was like massively important to me. Oh, yeah, that is the it. podcast cast, but we can always, <laughs> um, I don't know, we'll sort of do some magical, like slightly creepy, like AI deep fake, like adding it back in afterwards. <laughs> but no, we could always, you know, give them a, a mention. But yeah, I mean, there are some writers there that I don't know. And the titles of those anthologies sound so great. And I was thinking as well about, you know, because I'm such a huge fan and admirer of your comedy and the power oh, of storytelling. And, That's I mean, very I, kind. And I, honestly I, think that, I very much appreciate it. <laughs> I think great comedy is the most beautiful art form. It's like poetry and talking about the brevity of some of those stories and the Dan Rhodes ones. And I was thinking about that, whether that inspires your work, that being sort of so succinct, because you can really ramble on in a novel, but when, you know, in your work, every single word counts. And I suppose that's perhaps I, I get that from your stories as well. Oh, thank you. Gosh, it's really interesting to think about that because like, on one hand, I do think it trains you as a stand-up. You have to cut to the chase. And you are thinking sort of along the lines of what is the bare bones here? What is essential? Yeah, you do have to make sure that every word counts. But I don't know whether it's something that I was thinking about, that I'm, I'm aware of that much as I'm writing it. But it's so true. You don't have any space um, for things that aren't relevant or things that aren't purposeful. And so I think... Yeah, like hopefully that did inform the writing of the story. But weirdly for me, it was so wonderful to actually be in the space of writing prose where I could have slightly more space to develop things that weren't just focusing towards a laugh or weren't just part of some overarching narrative of the stand-up show. Like the very fact that like, yeah, that I could do very different stories and then sit with them and just develop them for what they were and they did not have to be funny like I do think that all the stories do have like jokey bits in and some of them are just funny stories but like the idea that I could write a story and be like this is a horror story and I'm gonna sit with it and it doesn't have to be like oh you need a laugh every few lines I could just be like 
crafting was nice. So it was similar because I definitely tried to put my best in my stand-up shows, but it was so nice to sort of be focusing on a slightly different kind of creative process, I suppose. Of course, because as you say, it's an opportunity that, you know, where you can explore all kinds of themes. I do wonder whether reading is so intimate. It's very different. I think you sort of... A reader, you know that the reader will bring all kinds of things with them and you have absolutely mm. no control over that. So yeah. why not just write exactly what you want to write? Yeah, because otherwise it's the closest you've got. And I, I think that's with stand-up as well. Like I've never been someone who can anticipate my audience. I can't be like, well, I think people will really go for this or do this. I have to just be like, well, this is what I like and what I think is good. I'll just try that, you know? And um Similarly with this, I, I, I think, I don't know how cliche it is, but it's like, I feel like the more personal you can be about crafting it for yourself, the more hope you have of actually connecting with people, just because otherwise it's not a real thing. And at the very least, people can be like, I feel this is real in some way. Um, yeah, it's an interesting thing, I, like, because I do feel like I've developed a creative practice and a creative um, voice over time and I suppose it must hopefully be informing these but at the same time for me it feels like I feel like such a beginner and it's so exciting and so like I could even see myself developing as a writer as I wrote those you know the 16 stories like by the oh, end I, I love felt that. so much more confident than I did at the beginning and stuff like that um yeah it's been really interesting in in that regard Sorry, I'm so rangy. I'm like, I'll talk for 10 minutes about nothing. Please <laughs> do. I am I honestly that. riveted. It's really, really interesting to hear about, about the process, as our American cousins might say. <laughs> I would love to hear about the first books that really kind of squeezed your heart, the first oh. thing you read where you thought, this is for me. Well, so I really remember as an adolescent reading um, Fahrenheit 451 and reading Of Mice and Men, because I think everyone my age read Of Mice and Men in year eight or year nine, whatever it was. And both of those being like incredibly formative to me. Even just the beginning of Fahrenheit 451, when it's like they give you lined paper right the other way. It's like, <laughs> like especially because like you're at school and you're like, they're giving me lined paper. How do they know? <laughs> and then, I remember that. And that was very formative as well for lots of reasons, because I really like the fact that there's a character who's very non-conformist in Fahrenheit 451. Um, I think the name is Clarice, I think. And she's very like, she's just like a young woman who doesn't watch TV and goes for walks everywhere. And in that world, that's like the most radical thing you can do. Mm. And I sort of think, I mean, I do watch quite a lot of TV, but like, I do sort of think that I do still really see walking as a very radical act. And like, that, yeah, in her family, they all sit up and chat all night. And, and everyone's like, what's wrong with these weirdos? And I'm like, I just see that as a very cool thing that he's like made being humane and being a, a sort of more connected to the environment person, a radical act. I like really remember that. And then um, the other one, yeah, with the Mice and Men, I think it was like my first feeling of like, someone who was really willing to devastate you on the page like I remember before I read the book when I was about nine my mum for some reason rented and I call it the weekend of no return because she rented us the elephant man and Blimey. of the... mice and men 
I guess she decided she wanted to tell us that some stories had sad endings. And me and my sister, at like nine and 12, watched those two films as a double bill. And were like... Back to back. Sick, I think so. This is my memory of it. Maybe I've conflated it, but we were like sick with weeping. It was unbearable for us. And so like, I guess reading that book was like keeping that spirit alive of like, oh God. Not only do some stories not have a happy ending, some stories are deliberately dragging you to the depths. And I guess I was like, that's what I like. And I guess that both stories about intense, intense vulnerability, the way people are misunderstood and the way we miss people's humanity and seeing these two, um, John Merrick and Lenny, both being so intensely vulnerable. I think that's a really important thing for children to see. Oh, yeah, it's a very interesting I'm feeling thing a bit was like, now. You're going to learn some lessons yeah. about life right now. Like, oh, couldn't we have had gentle, repeated conversations over years? No, yeah. you're getting a film. It's going to be terrifying. I mean, you're a parent. Do you think yeah. how... Uh, They'll be getting the How, how do you have year. those conversations? You're like, right, off we go. <laughs> nice men, let's do it. I do try to sort of, yeah, introduce her to things that are slightly complicated. Like I... We try and talk a bit about, I've got some books, I sort of aspire to be a Quaker, but I just never get to the meetings. And we got some books about Quakers, about kind of talking about how some people have less and some people have more and like, it's not right that some people have less and like talking about equality and about simplicity and things like that. And I have always been trying to introduce, yeah, talk to her about difficult subjects. I remember, yeah, but I started too early to begin with. I remember when she was about two, I was like thinking that what would be good is if we got rid of some of, she had like far too many toys and we were like, if we get rid of someone, she and I can take them and we can donate them and it'll be like a good way for her understanding. So I was like to her, saying to her, oh, darling, did you know some kids don't have enough toys? Do you know that? It's really sad, isn't it? And she was like, yeah, yeah. I was like, and I was thinking what we could do is we could look at some of your toys and maybe ones you didn't really want we could give to them and then she was like devastated she was like no please and I was like oh I've really messed this up I'm I'm an idiot I don't know what I thought I was teaching her but I've like traumatized her about this and I'll turn her into somebody who refuses to give anything away I was wondering if we look at you know certain individuals now who are ruining the world it's like did people try to take them toys (laughs) in a formative time no what happened to those people was boarding school is what happened to boarding school and then cocaine that's what ruined their (laughs) There it was, it like the amyg- amygdala, is that what it's called? <laughs> so yeah, that's um, the, the Mallory Tower sequel I would like to read. <laughs> Daryl and Sally, the cocaine years. Um, this is a, a fairly sort of dramatic about turn, but are there any books that you just like because they make you feel happy or they make you laugh or they provide oh, yeah. some respite from the grimness well, is, of the I world? I feel so silly because I... I, I am a very light-hearted person. I just think sometimes when I think about myself in the context of particularly short stories, that's where I've really loved kind of experiencing such depth of feeling and melancholy. But yes, I love funny stuff so much. Um, I am um, the kind of non-narrative book that's made me laugh the most in my life mm. is Robert Popper, the comedy writer, has written two books called The Time Waster Letters. And honestly, I I've just I just have memories of and I, I started reading them when I was about 18 and I remember being on the bus and laughing and laughing so hard hysterically at it it's he's so funny I if you um 
ever aboard, you can find his YouTube videos where he does kind of prank calls as a very high-pitched old lady um, that are astonishing. He's so funny because these are prank letters. Basically, he would write prank letters to companies to waste their time. But they're so imaginative, surreal, unusual and gentle at their heart. Like it's this odd character that he's occupying who does sweet, silly, bizarre things. And so like, even though they're pranking people, it's like the phone calls, none of them feel mean spirited. Mm. They just feel like this beautiful adventure between like fiction and reality and naughty, but not mean. And I think there's something about that that just gets me. And I, I still find him hilarious now. Like I sometimes think a lot about how he sent he sent the Table Tennis Association of the UK his own ideas for a mascot for them called Parmenu. Oh. Terrible picture of a of a <laughs> of a table tennis bat. And then it's a poster that he's made and in big letters he's written, Parmenu never underlined twice, cheats. <laughs> that's like the thing. Honestly, if, if you can, I think you can still find them. I think also he recorded them as an audio bit recently, but those were some of the funniest things I've ever read, and I love them. I recently read Frankie Boyle's novel, and I laughed so much in it. I thought it was so full of like very funny jokes. Like there's a bit where they find this really bizarre <laughs> script that somebody's written, who's obviously either going through some sort of like break with reality or something like it's just unreadable and this person submitted the script and the person reading it is like my main thought was they had no idea about what would be commissioned <laughs> it's just so funny to me oh um, yeah so I do really love to laugh um and it's it when I'm reading but I suppose if I choose stuff I probably do choose things that are slightly more emotionally damping well I guess it's you know nice to kind of to have a, a range and you know when you're sort of you know the com the comedy is the day job but I think it's, yeah there's a lot of laughter it? in your life you want you know too you much laughter in my life <laughs> not enough melancholy I gotta get it in the evenings otherwise it doesn't balance out yeah that's so true are there books that you're really looking forward to and we talked a bit about you know by some men and the sort of the bleak things but generally um books that you are looking forward to kind of to sharing um you know sort of like a family reading journey yes so much and it's it, you know what even already it's been every stage has been such a thrill in that regard and revisiting things and realizing how much I remember it's been very beautiful like um although it's also very funny so there's two books that I've been trying to get my big daughter to enjoy and she fucking hates them <laughs> there's one called Sally's Secret which I actually reference a bit in my book of stories because it's it's this book by um, Shirley Hughes. And one of the reasons I love it is there's this little scrappy little girl in it. And I really feel like that's what I was like as a kid. And so I find it very beautiful. But when I was a kid, I liked it because there were lots of pictures of this woman, the girl in a den eating iced gems and plums off of a tea Ooh. set. And at the time I just was like, this is living. This is absolutely <laughs> living. Um, and I read it to my daughter and she just she's a funny one she sometimes loves well she just likes to define herself in opposition to me so if I'm too keen mm. they'll be like I don't like this and it's like fair enough and oh, the other book that I've been be trying to read her to... yes 
I started trying to read her Rumor Garden books because I really loved them as a kid. And I was trying to read her The Doll's House, which I think is like I have memories of just adoring and my mum would read to me. And she just is not into it. I think she's too young. She's just not hates it and and has also called it that stupid book and stupid is a word that is a very big swear in our house for kids so the fact that she's gone gone to stupid is actually quite devastating for me um but what we have really enjoyed together is frog and toad which my mum used to read me and um the thing that's been the joy of my heart she loves michael rosen poems and again, like I forgot how much I read them as a kid and how much I loved them. And so to, we read them, we like repeat them, we laugh. Like there's one about don't put gravy on the baby, don't pour beer in his ear, <laughs> don't put his toes up your nose. The first time she, I read it to her, she was looking at me like, how am I getting to hear this naughty thing from you? You know, and so, yeah, we really love them. And that's been a real joy like bonding over that um and there are different things that I'm looking forward to when she's a bit older I like the idea of her reading Jacqueline Wilson I used to really love Jacqueline Wilson a lot and oh, I think she's yeah. really found and like um I'm not I, I feel like in two minds about Roald Dahl because my memories of Roald Dahl are like what an incredible experience that was. I loved his writing. But I'm also really aware that I started playing her these classical music CDs by this woman called Anne Ratchlin, who I really love. And she's still going strong. She's in her 90s. She does um, storytelling CDs to introduce kids to works of classical music. Like, particularly, she'll tell the story of an opera through story and song. And I really love them. But what I've just sort of realised in showing them to my kids is, like, Every now and again, she's just horrendously cruel about someone's appearance or about someone's size or something like this as part of the storytelling. And obviously, I guess in the 80s, that was totally fine. But I find myself really like, um, let's just stop it there. Now, listen, somebody like that will be you know, it's different. And it's just really funny how, like, my, like, wishy-washy parenting comes in. And I feel like it would be like that a bit with Roald Dahl. I'd be like, um, no. But I don't know. It's so interesting seeing what she does and doesn't love. What you were saying about how you can't be too keen, you know, and that, that it's really interesting, isn't it? You sort of you do want to be your own person and have your own taste. But yeah, I do remember because I loved Rumor Garden, and I remember. Um, the did you did you really read dark and quite frightening, yeah, but great? So maybe I think I'm doing it too soon. Sorry, I wanted to ask. Did you read um, Miss Happiness and Miss Flower and Little Plum? Little Plum, I remember. I remember it having a really beautiful cover, like the old puffin. It's kind of, and maybe it's one of those things where the one I had been someone else's 20 years ago and it's all stumbling. Oh, but it's really, lovely yeah. kind of colours and I had a very, I remember being sort of like late 60s. Oh, yeah. Well, this is it. I got a lot of things through my mum that are from the 60s that I sort of am trying to give to my daughter as well yes you're right the doll's house is very dark and I actually think it's good that she's abandoned it I did it with her for about a week we'd read a few pages and I partly did it because I just wanted to move us up into us reading slightly more chapter books can I recommend a book which yes. is a children's book that I didn't read at all when I was a kid and um, my friend Anne, who is a writer, she's Bridge Anne on Twitter, and she writes beautiful children's books. Um, but she recommended Carbonell, King of the Cats by Barbara Slateholm, and said, this is my favourite book. And I met her on a writing retreat, and really sweetly and generously, she sent it to me. And 
it's about a young girl and it's the summer holidays and there's not really any money to do anything nice and I think she's sort of living it's just her and her mum and she's living somewhere and I think she's sort of going to help at the market or something and meets Carbonell. Carbonell's a great like classic cat because Carbonell is not a friendly cat. He's very regal and really makes these kids sort of work for his affection. But he and there's a boy as well and they go on adventures but it's got a really it's lovely because it feels warm but it's very funny and it's not too twee there's a real it's wow comforting it and lovely really but there's cool. a bite to it oh that's amazing it's yeah i've got comforting. it i've got it up i'm having a look that sounds great oh wow well, it's from 1955 i love it oh do you know what else i've been really enjoying reading her it's so classic is um Maurice Sendak books. Oh yeah, where the last things are in the night kitchen, um, uh, inside over, outside over there, inside over there, outside over there. My friend released a music record called I think the opposite ones. So and it confuses me as a result. So I think hers was called Inside Over Here, and that one's called Outside Over There. Um, but yeah, Maurice Sendak has been really brilliant, and he was a cool guy as well. Mm. Because was he such a very, I might have got this wrong, I imagine him being quite kind of very sort of 60s, a bit sort of hippie-ish and kind of liberal and open and, you know, sort of new, like, post-war positive values about love. But that that might just be me embroidering it with what, who I want him to be. Well, I think he was very cool in that regard. I'm just, we, did a, um, we did a Shortcuts episode about him. Yeah, there's an interview that we used a little part of, it was the year before he died in 2011. So um, please let me recommend the episode to listeners. It's called Where the Wild Things Are. And so you get to like hear him. He was, um, oh, wow. I know that he was gay and I know that I feel like he spoke about that in the interview in the show. I can't remember. Um, it was cool. He was a cool guy. Oh, Sorry, I feel awesome. like the one fact I know about him is this. <laughs> he's a cool guy. <laughs> but he was a really lovely person. Yeah, I really recommend the um the uh, oh, episode. I think I it's really definitely listen to that. That sounds glorious. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. A lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. We'll be back with Josie soon, but now it's time for my steal of the week. I've chosen The Other Day by Dorothy Whipple, a Persephone book. This is a very intimate, straightforward childhood memoir 
It's very funny, but Whipple's vulnerability is deeply touching. She captures that sense of being young and feeling out of place as we try to understand how the world works. I don't believe that feeling ever truly leaves us. It's also a love letter to being in green places and seeing beauty in the world and finding comfort in it. It's simple, but very affecting. I'm always trying to recruit new members to the Whipple fan club. It's a very happy place to be. The Other Day by Dorothy Whipple is published by Persephone and out now. Now, back to Josie. I wanted to go back to what you're saying about Roald Dahl and the weirdness, because I think we all read those books when we were a kid. I was um, bullied horrendously because I was um, a fat kid, for want of a better way of putting it. And that was... And I'd still read those stories and they really like made me just, you know, hate myself and wish I could change. But I didn't, it never sort of ever occurred to me to step out, but it doesn't have to be this way. um, It's something I want to protect my daughter from. And it's something that I really spend a lot of energy doing, like even down to talking about food and constantly just being like, she would tell me a lot of bad things about sugar, which I'm not telling it. And I'll be like, sugar's just a food. It's yummy. It's just one of the foods we eat. And I try really hard to be neutral about it because my relationship with food and my body was so warped so yeah. early on. And yeah, exactly. You're right. I, I don't, I, I counter it. I do read her a lot of lovely kids books. There's one called Bodies Are Cool. Just loads of different things about how different bodies could be and saying how beautiful they are. And I read her like, um yeah just sort of books that are trying to be body positive but yeah you're right I think I will like go through things because maybe like some of them might end up being nice Uh, not even nice some of them might end up being brilliant but like there might be parts in it where I'll just be like yeah we're not gonna read this one but I do remember eg like the vignettes in the witches were the most Mm. exciting thing to me like one thing I love in anything film literature tv is a sudden little mini vignette of another character, especially when it's like supernatural and sad. So like in The Witches where they're like, and let me tell you the story of the witch who hid a boy in a painting. I'm like, oh, I live for this, you know? So I feel like maybe she'll like that. I love that. Um, So that meta storytelling within storytelling, because it feels in a way, when a writer does it, I think it feels so smart and so sophisticated, but also it's how we are. It's how we talk. We live for these vignettes. We're always going off and, you know, these little sort of... What's better than gossip? Just a little bit of gossip, story gossip. Also, I'm so sad that you also were like made to feel bad about your body, which is so, it's such a horrid thing to look back on. Like, yeah our generation and see how much we were fucked with it's really I suppose I can continue to be but like I've just read a book that I keep talking about and it's not a kid's book it's called uh, Fat Talk by Virginia Soul Smith she's an American writer and it really is all about how I guess people like us who've grown up in this sort of toxic warped culture where Mm -hmm. we really don't want the next generation to grow up as we did and Mm -hmm. how to unpick that how to raise a generation what to you know, love and like their bodies and feel positive or at least feel neutral when we're still carrying all of that weird stuff around and doing it in a world where, as you say, there's lots of sort of very confusing information where people are, oh no, but it's healthy and all of the fat phobic things that come under the umbrella of health are making efforts. Can I please say, do you listen to Maintenance Phase? Yeah, that's her podcast, isn't it? Is it? No, her name's Aubrey Plaza, I think. Aubrey Plaza from Parks and Rec. 
no, that can't be right. <laughs> one second, one second. I'm so embarrassed. In my head, I was like, like, I was like, I know it's not Aubrey Beardsley. And then I was like, well, it's the other Aubrey. Oh, wait, no, wait, no, I'm going to write I had down. a conversation yesterday with someone, and it was a bit scary as well, because they kept saying about this person, because I live in Margate on the Kent coast, and they kept talking about oh, this, like, this big art guy like lives in Ramsgate, and you must have heard of him, you must have heard of him, uh, Jeffrey Dahmer. <laughs> really like tell me I, I thought he was long dead I didn't think he lived um, down the road from me not ideal also Men- like I don't want to respect his art even if he's really good I'm not interested he met Jeremy Della and I was like oh thank fuck for that <laughs> that's incredible <laughs> oh yeah I'm just a big fan of Jeffrey Dahmer's beautiful art about people oh my god this is I have this is much smaller but I love the actor Toby Jones and I really cannot stand the contrarian Toby Young. Mm. And every now and again, I'll be watching Toby Jones and I'll say, oh, I love Toby Young. <laughs> <laughs> and the women I'm talking about, that you know as well, is Aubrey Gordon. And Aubrey that, Gordon. I think that podcast has been so incredibly important to me because it gives so much scientific scientific <laughs> scientific support in unpicking these myths and stuff. Anyway, sorry, I'm really where it's not a book. But like I said, just share these good things definitely no I'm really loving this because obviously you know people are here because they like listening to things so I think it's really good but like actually maybe we love culture on my listeners we love culture we do it's true and to Um, bring it back to the book there's a part in my book in a story that is specifically about how Instagram helped me to understand past relationships which have been coercive and abusive and like so it's sort of in the book a little bit that sometimes digital media is like the most incredibly interventional thing in your life. Eh? Mm. So there we go. <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's it's all the good and all the bad. It's everything, and we have to yeah. we have to swim in it. Um, yeah. This is a, a big old clanging name drop. I was just talking to Mary Beard um, oh, I about while well, you um, were looking for whales. While I was looking for whales, but she was talking about. Um, Jane Eyre um, in Rochester. I this is where I panic and think, have I got the right? That's right. Have I got my Brontes the right the right way around? Um, And loving, she said about loving it as a young woman, as a teenager, and that now feeling quite embarrassed about that because that relationship is so toxic and terrible. Mm. Um, But all you do is you just read wide sargasso see as well, and you're mm. like, yes, and this is the one I love loads as well. Um, that feels like you've redressed the balance brings us back to Jean Reese. it's really interesting with her because she comes up we had Fern Brady on the podcast and she loves oh, Jean Reese. oh I'll have to text her about that that's really yeah. cool but she was talking about um in terms of that Fern Brady her autism and we had that conversation with Catherine May as well and about Jean Reese and sort of neurodivergence and obviously mm-hmm. you do not ever want to diagnose anyone who oh, is not with us anymore but it's but that's... so hard like when I got my diagnosis of ADHD that's all I did I went through all the books that I loved and was like this person has ADHD and with Jean Reese, if there's one person that I wish I could meet and feel is the has the most ADHD vibe of any writer in the world it's her like the levels of emotional intensity the intensity of her prose the fact that she didn't finish a lot of things for a long time. The fact that she did loads of different careers, the fact that she, I mean, like, this is sad, but like the fact that she was an addict, there's so many things yeah. that I'm like, 
Jean Reese, you 100% have ADHD and you would be my best friend because I also do. Like, And I know it's wrong to do that. I completely agree. I know it's stupid, but I can't help myself. But at the same time, when it brings you that much comfort and it makes you feel seen, I mean, I'm okay. you know, at the very earliest stages of starting to, this is a bit of a thing to sort of drop on the podcast, but having read books and talked, I, I do, I believe I am autistic and I'm starting oh, to kind of go on that journey. You, sorry to interrupt. Did you feel that way when you read Fern's book? Was it very um sort of thing after thing? Yeah, that I read Fern's book and I lots of it was really ringing bells and I thought, oh no, 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 no. You're just you know, because I know that I wildly over-identify with absolutely everything I read. But maybe that's similar and I read as well. You I know? think <laughs> I think it is. And then and I thought because also, I mean, something that Fern does say in her book is, you know, that it's not a spectrum kind of you are or you aren't. And I think that Fern, you know, look, I mean, it's, oh God, I love that book so much. It's one of my favourite books of the year, Strong Female Character. Um, but I thought, oh, I don't really, it feels really almost intrusive to read her. And it's because her writing's so brilliant that I'm like, oh, it's me. And then I read Catherine May's book, The Electricity of Every Living Thing, after we talked to her in the podcast. And Catherine May was, I think, 38 or 39, just before she's 40. She got her diagnosis. And she said it was just by chance she heard something on the radio. And it was an interview with a woman talking about how there's this idea that sort of, they're based on that that one study they did in Vienna with 12-year-old boys. And Fern makes that brilliant joke about her yeah. being told she couldn't possibly have autism or be autistic because she has a boyfriend. Like, well, yes, the 12-year-old boys in the study, they didn't <laughs> tend to have boyfriends. And I, I feel really awkward and embarrassed saying it's having this really extreme empathy that can often be quite debilitating. Like, oh, I'm such an empath. Like, I don't want to go into that realm. No, I, that's when that. I felt I that punch in the stomach. But when you see it, and as you say, as soon as you start noticing it and noticing perhaps Svelte's writers who need to spend a lot of time on their own trying to make sense of things. And um, I was just to recommend another podcast. I was on uh, Joel Morris's podcast, Comfort Blanket, talking oh, cool. about Bridget Jones books, which I loved ah. so much as yeah. a teen. And I know lots of people really, really don't. But part of it was... I just felt so clueless and alien-like and unable to read any social situations. And it was Bridget and it was her, this like amazing guide to adulthood and like how to go to dinner parties and go to work and have friends and be a sort of social London person. And I just soaked it all up because it felt such a useful kind, because I was so crap at being a kid, but I thought I'll get ahead of the game and learn how to be an adult now. You were just not, not really... Like, you just weren't allowed to be the kid you actually were. Do you know what I mean? Like, all the times I felt, because I think a lot of a lot of ADHD traits and autistic traits overlap, you know? And, like, so, yeah, I always felt, oh, I'm so awkward, I don't fit in, blah, blah. But actually, I just feel like a lot of the time I didn't get to really explore what I really wanted to do. Yeah. Or was. Or, and also, I suppose, because what I often really wanted to do was just put on a show for everyone, because mm. I was so horrendously like showing off based I don't know um yeah gosh I'm so excited for you I'm I'm happy that you feel that you're like finding out it's so it's so important and like I think it will be life-changing in a good way I do like it was for me to get a diagnosis 100% and also then you can look back on every book and be like they're like yes. me yeah <laughs> <laughs> but that was really sad oh I tell you what I think is the most 
the most ADHD book in the world. Hang on. It was it's um at Grand Central Station I sat down and wept by Elizabeth Smart. I was like, that is the most ADHD book I have ever read in my life. This person. I'm gonna I'm gonna go back in time. I'm gonna give her some Ritalin. She's gonna be fine. <laughs> but I know this is awful. I I I, I hope people listening know that like I'm doing it as a joke because I've ADHD, like it's not a thing. But, yeah. but I mean, I think it's really wonderful to have that experience of people writing, you know, beautiful books. I've, I must, I've never actually read it. I have it on my shelf and I'm desperate to read it. So am I right? I actually don't about love her? it. Oh, interesting. It's not my favourite because I found it too much. So maybe I found it too much like me. I was like, mm, this is a bit much. I always realised <laughs> it's a bit like, sort yourself out, mate. <laughs> too much. I don't know why. It's very rare that I'm like that. I think as well, I, I do really appreciate a certain style of writing that's very, very pared down. Mm. So maybe it was too overwrought in that way for me. I hope, I hope that's okay I... to say. Absolutely. Yeah. And, you know, because you're talking about the Raymond Carver and admiring the great economists and talking to someone about American writers because I adore Anne Patchett's books. And it's oh, well, some... I've not read any of her work. Oh, I would really. I, I love them all. Um, my gateway was the Dutch house, which got sent to me as a proof. I was very jammy and it had a very sort of painterly oh, nice. cover. And it's a bit, there's oh, a yeah, picture yeah. in the story. And I kind of thought that, I thought, oh, this is going to be one of those books. It's very beautiful and very literary and it feels a bit dry and I feel mm. a bit, and I just struggle to get into it. And it's going to be really descriptive. And everyone will like use words like lyrical and it will just <laughs> leave me cold. And people just kept mentioning it. And every time someone mentioned it, I got a little bit more cross with them and with me for not <laughs> reading it. And it was like, I had this really giant pile of books and an old flat that was like crammed into like beside the bookshelf because there's just no storage space. And it was on yep, the top. Yep. And every time I walked past it, I felt guilty. And then I thought, fine, <laughs> fine, I'm just going to do it, fine. And it was brilliant. And it's the story about a boy and his sister. Uh, their father has comes into money or there's a there's a he's got a, a company and it's to do with property in new york and there's lots of money and he moves them all into this sort of exquisite glass mansion their mother freaks out and cannot bear the proximity to wealth and privilege and runs away mm. to india and leaves the kids behind Oof. and the father remarries an awful woman and patchett she doesn't make you roll in the aisles with laughter but there's mm. always a lightness to her. And it's one of those books where in her universe, you think, well, everyone here has a sense of humour and likes mm. to hear and tell jokes. And I think sometimes I can't bear it when it's missing from fiction. It doesn't need to be like a gag every line. It doesn't represent line, but... life, does it? Yeah. That's it, isn't it? When you have it's... to really think about people, what they're like. Relentlessly not... heavy. Like I remember thinking about that, The Vanishing Half by Britt Bennett, which I loved. And because that was lots of very serious people love that book. It's serious and it's brilliant, but also... It's got that shift of there are light moments and frivolity and jollity amidst the the awfulness. But yet there's Anne Patchett is such a sort of a clean, propulsive writer. She really pulls you in wow. and she writes these really hooky sentences and you get this lovely like, oh, I'm reading a proper book. I'm doing some literature. <laughs> I'm underlining but I really recommend her essay collections and the latest one, These Precious Days. I don't love a lot of things that are written about like the pandemic and the state of where we are, but I love this one. And wow, it's really digestible. That's really exciting. But yeah, but I love how thinking about all these, 
you know, the sort of the Hemingway effect and how all of these writers learn to write. Um, I just saw a really great documentary about Kurt Vonnegut, who I've read shamefully little of. Oh, what's your, do you have a favourite? Is that a reductive oh, question? Well, I'll tell you my controversial opinion, my least favourite. The only one that I wasn't able to really get through, and admittedly this was 20, uh, 25, <laughs> 15 years ago, so it might be that I could read it now and feel differently. My least favourite is Breakfast of Champions. It was the only yeah. one I didn't love. Um, my favourites are, I really loved Slapstick or Lonesome No More. I really love Timequake, Jailbird, Jailbird I really loved. Um, the one that's very famous... Um, Slaughterhouse Five. Slaughterhouse Five. I mean, it's incredible. It it is really great. Hang on, I'm going to look because my problem is since I've had my children, it's almost like my brain's been wiped, but it hasn't. All my thoughts, all my memories are hidden, and so I have to like trick, find the right triggers to get them. Um, I love Slaughterhouse Five. I love Cat's Cradle. I mean, I have read a lot of them. I really liked um, Galapagos as well. I think all of them have. Oh, Man Without a Country, which is his nonfiction, was really. Um, uh, a big deal for me. I really loved the way he described that people will, you should try and aspire to be a saint, even though you will fail. It's worth it. That's the only way to be. And I thought that was really beautiful. And I just love him as a man, as a thinker, as a writer. I just think he's incredibly um, correct. And I love the fact that he is brief, yes. funny, and fucking unblinchingly cynical. And I love that combination of things. He's humane and gentle and loving and full of endless desire to try. But he's also like devastating in how kind of he doesn't really shift his position on certain things being dark or impossible to beat or whatever like that. And I just find that incredible, that balance of those things. That sort of that consistency, that yeah. sort of relentless, but and I think you know, that the discipline, I suppose, for want of a a better word. I was thinking about that. Um, have you read Saint Maybe by Anne Tyler, which okay. is about three, it starts with um, three teenage children and it's sort of about, um, Wikipedia says, Tyler's plot explores the ways ordinary people react to disastrous events with quietly heroic behaviour. Um, oh, love it. And it's mostly about Ian and a sort of a family tragedy and his response to it is to kind of drop out of life and try to be a saint or as saintly as he can possibly be even though he knows it's sort of it's futile and that's a book where I do remember reading it as a teenager and just loving the way that she wrote and really loving the characters but also feeling quite frustrated and thinking no Ian like live your life you know, go to college <laughs> you've got a girlfriend have some fun and I think if I were to come back to that now it would make a lot more sense to me that this extreme is, moral really position the fact that you if a book if you really love a book you as three or four completely different people can read it and then the best thing the most exciting thing is if all three or four of those different people that you are likes it that's wild especially when you can find different bits good or bad at different times but like yeah that's the dream isn't it that you would still enjoy at 80 something you loved it yeah what do you reread are are there things Um, that you've gone back to and revisited and changed your opinion on there's things i've gone back to and revisited and still enjoyed uh white star gas the great gatsby because uh, I feel like Gatsby is a book that you feel differently about every time you pick it. You sort of respond yes. to different bits. Yes, 
definitely and and even the first time I read it I don't even think I really noticed the ending I was like all right okay that's the end like there were lots of bits I didn't notice 100% and also when I was at university I was having this culture shock with regards to being around lots of privileged people that I didn't even know existed but I was sort of not I was not as fussed about it as I am now because I was also just like part of that milieu because I was at university with them so it didn't and feel as stark as till after I left and returned to my social class and realised. And when you're young and surrounded by that, and it is a bit of a shock and a bit of a surprise, because I would say maybe we're quite used to having to sort of, you know, disguise and mm. fit in. If It's another way, place, thing that we feel awkward, where we think, oh, I must fit into it or not. That's I very maybe not. And no, I think in part, it was definitely, I did feel like I wanted to fit in with different people. But I also think I just had no class consciousness. Like I didn't really understand about politics or the makeup of the UK or how class worked or how money worked. And so I was a lot more, I just kind of was a, a lot less aware of the actual stark differences and a lot more like, oh yeah, these guys are posh and that's a funny thing, <laughs> you know? So I was like, oh, and also I guess, I think I... When I was little, I would have identified as being left wing, but I don't think I really had any political education. And so I probably back then found it a lot more glamorous than I would now. I think now I'd be a bit more like, this is horrendous. All of your money comes from exploitation. But Back against the wall, burn it all down. Oh, maybe. And, and I suppose there's still a part of me that, you know, I love fancy things and I wish I had kept in touch with someone wealthy whose parents owned a number of beautiful holiday homes. We could have had a great time. We could have gone to lavish parties, you know. But <laughs> I think funny. that's really interesting as well because I often think about this, like when I feel like growing up when I was kid the only like evil billionaire I was really aware of was Mr Burns from The Simpsons <laughs> and then and it did used to be the sort of like you know to be to be rich and posh was sort of conflated yeah being posh was just a bit bit silly and a bit ludicrous and ridiculous and it's that's really, why they did it yeah now we it's all fun and games and everyone have I got news for you so oh, there I go with my gaffes and now we're exactly fucked. I'll ring a bell of agreement like yeah are there any books you would recommend because I say this as someone who um is definitely I think very very politically ignorant books mm. that one can sort of educate oneself that you think are sort of necessary non-fiction reading or do there you was think- a book that I used to recommend about 10 years ago called The Spirit Level but it's one of those ones where I suppose, I don't know whether it's still contemporary. Um, I think Nazreen Malik is an incredible writer. Anything she writes is really good. I, um, uh, oh my God, I'm trying to look now. I don't know. I mean, I wouldn't want to set myself up as being like a, a paragon of knowledge because I don't think I am. Like I got a free subscription to the Left Book Club, which is the most incredible thing for me. And once a month I open the beautiful yellow or black book and I put it on the shelf and I have no time to read it. <laughs> so I feel like I'm not wonderfully well read. But I think like... Even just things like, well, I tell you a book that I read a couple of years ago that I think is wonderful and uh, radical and political, but also lyrical and thought provoking and imaginative. And that's Experiments in Imagining Otherwise by Lola Olafemi. It's fantastic. I absolutely loved it. I also really like um, Rebecca Solnit's um, Hope in the Dark. I think it's really cool. That's about being an activist, keeping going. But 
Yeah, I'm trying to think. I, I, my worry is I think my brain is going, you don't have any right to say something is definitive or useful. But I'm trying to think about things that I've read that I like. I like a book called Steal, where is it? It's called Steal Whatever You Can. It's by Natalie Ola. And that's about class and um, uh, uh, steal as much as you can. Class and the arts. I really like that. Um, that's just there. Um, a book. Oh, a, a, there's, a, there's a really good bit by a guy who runs... Um, uh, a theatre company, The Club at the End of the Lane by Alan Lane, who runs Slung Low Theatre Company. There's a book called, uh, that I think is quite oh. hopeful, called Our Block, How We Win by James Schneider. Um, James Schneider is was Jeremy Corbyn's head of staff and um, now runs, works for Progressive International, super sound, um, really good person. There's a book called From What Is to What If, by the founder of Transition Towns, that I think is really good. I'm now just like trying to name every book that I've thought. <laughs> but... oh, this is great. This is this is fantastic. And yeah, I think that there are probably lots of people who do think I want to know more. Where do I begin? Where do I start? And I think this is really just so great to kind of anything oh, that you know it's... will leave us knowing a little bit more than we knew when we went in. It's a positive thing to read. Oh, good. Well, I'm glad. But also what I would say is that, like, I'm a socialist. You can read things that are sim- quite simply, like, an introduction to what socialism is, an introduction to what anarchism is. I know it's, like, silly, but, like, it's helped me, like, this is very useful for me. How Marx for beginners? Just, like, starting to understand. There's a really good comic book version of the um, Communist Manifesto uh, that um, Martin Rousen did. Oh, cool. That's That's a really good comic book version of Howard Zinn's People's History of American Empire as a big graphic novel. Like, so if you're somebody for whom, at the moment, since I've had my children, I find reading non-fiction very challenging because my brain is sluggish and slow and my sleep isn't good enough. And, And so anything I can do that's like a graphic novel version to give me an introduction is so useful. But I feel like it's a very broad subject, isn't it? Like I'm just throwing a hundred things at the wall. Um... But yeah, I hope any of those are interesting for people. Definitely. And I often think I would love to read more graphic novels. I'm so sort of shamefully sort of slow to kind of, you know, catch up on the form. And obviously I know, you know, the really the biggies like Fun Home, but... Oh, that's amazing. Yeah, but you're doing other stuff. That's the thing. Like, you've been busy. There's there's so much culture, isn't there? And there's so much to do and learn about. Mm. And it's overwhelming and... You know, also you need downtime when you're not doing anything. It's cool. you know, it's hard. <laughs> and that's what I'm um, I'm rereading. <laughs> it's a comfort book, sort of like no surprises. I've you know, I don't know um I know exactly what's gonna happen. But yeah, I, it's I think that's something that I feel really strongly about. That I think lots of people that I talk to when they hear you sort of do a books podcast, you know, they're sort of panic and it's almost yeah. like I'm checking that they've done their homework. Yeah, exactly. Like, Even me, no, I'm no, like, no. well, you know, people, are, I, 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 I'm not a political. I, I, uh. <laughs> it's like, oh, God, sorry. <laughs> but, but, like, I'm honestly, please, I just really want everyone to think that it doesn't matter if if you were rereading 15 minutes of a Sweet Valley High book in the morning, <laughs> and I sometimes do, and you feel 5% better than you would if you started the day by looking at your phone. That's wonderful. Yeah. And it's only, I say this a lot, but it's only because I keep rereading oh. Sweet Valley High books, Noel Stratfield, my beloved Marion Keys, who I think is oh, she's so smart and great. And those I think those yeah. books are so brilliant because you can read, and yeah, exactly what you were saying about all your different selves 
get something different and love them in a different way. And that is absolutely how I feel about Rachel's holiday, which I think is really, really amazing. And I do wonder whether, I have to talk to Marion about this, if you want to have a conversation about it, but the way she talks about Rachel's addiction and her insecurity and vulnerability and her sort of extreme emotional responses to difficult things and her sensitivity and I'm like there's a bit of me that thinks neurodivergent I think Rachel is neurodivergent but that's that is not for me to say. I think in five years all of us will have established and got used to our like diagnosis you know and then we'll all just be like we don't want to talk about it but right now it's just something that's like everywhere for us it's because we're thinking about it. thank you so much i've had so much fun it's been absolutely wonderful and um, thank you for having me um, i hope that we do meet in real life and um i really appreciate you having me on the show it's really cool huge thanks to josie because i don't know what you mean and what you don't is published by canongate and out now your Book is produced by Dale Shaw for New Alaska and hosted by Acast. You can find all the books that Josie mentioned at acast.com slash booked and you can see a selection at bookshop.org. You can find us and followers on social media at whybooked. Huge thanks to everyone who's given us a five-star review. If you haven't done it yet and you've been listening to the podcast for a little while, we'd really appreciate it. It's the best way to help people to find us and their new favourite book. Finally, I'll leave you with this from David Sedaris. If you read somebody's diary, you get what you deserve. See you next time. the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTER Exclusions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.